0: Welcome to Virtual School Assembly. I'm your host, Tyler Christensen. I'm a productivity speaker, author, and classroom teacher. Here at Virtual School Assembly, I interview Hollywood celebrities, professional athletes, Olympians, speakers, and educators who share messages of inspiration, education, and hope to better prepare you for an ever-changing and uncertain world. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome back to Virtual School Assembly. Today, our guest is Grace Defoe. Grace is a Canadian national team skeleton athlete who resides in Calgary. A self-proclaimed mediocre figure skater, by chance she got twisted up in the world of skeleton and beat the odds by being named to the national team in 2019. She represented Canada in over 30 international races and won World Junior Championship. She has a bachelor's degree in health and physical education, works full-time at the a nonprofit Classroom Champions, and is also an athlete ambassador for kids sport and Fast and Female. In her free time, she loves spending time with her dog, Ivy, and is in search of the perfect cup of coffee. (laughs) Grace, welcome to the show. Thank you so
1: much for having me.
0: Yeah, so as I mentioned to you before, I I love your story just mostly because you, you call yourself a mediocre figure skater. That's not the way most people introduce themselves um and so you have to tell me a little bit about that first so let's go back to your childhood competitive competitive figure skating what what's that all about so
1: i grew up in a community in calgary we had uh we had a lake man-made lake in our community and basically everyone in the community gets access to it all summer all winter and uh pretty much from the time i was two my parents pretty much strapped those skates on with the two blades that go over your boot Mm -hmm. um and I just started skating, and, and obviously, it's not all fun and games at the beginning. You're just trying to stand up and fall down, stand up. Um, but I spent 14, 15 years just, you know, grinding away. at community level, I would say I never did anything spectacular. I was just, as I mentioned, mediocre. Um, I traveled to, you know, regional competitions in Western Canada, but never really made the crack to that next step. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it It was lots of fun, and I, I still have lots of great friends from figure skating. That's where my roots started. That's where all the life lessons from sport have come from, perseverance, all that stuff. Um, I don't regret a second of it, but I was pretty sure when I was 18 and just started university as my first year, and I remember just walking off the ice and being like, that's it. That's wrap. I'm never really coming back ever again as a competitive or active figure skater. I knew that that was the end of my career. and. And uh, yeah, that was in 2012, I called it quits, peacefully on my own terms and decided to move on with my life.
0: Now you say peacefully, but figure skating was a a big part of your life up to that point. Was it hard to kind of walk away or were you just truly ready to move on and do something different?
1: Well, so the thing about figure skating is it's kind of like gymnastics in the sense of um, by the time I was 12 or 13, I really knew my trajectory wasn't that Olympic level. Right. Um, so the last few years, yeah, you work hard. And you're like, let's see how far I'm going to take this. But I kind of knew that I was just like, just doing it because it was what I was. And it's like all through school, I was like, I'm a figure skater. That's what my identity was. Hmm. And so it did take a little bit of time to come to terms. And I spent the last six months kind of just skating, but not competing. So I was still training. And it was like that transition period where I kind of got to go to the, go to the rink and see my coach hang out um I was just trying to pass a few like tests with our skate Canada to basically it's like achievement tests to say you've achieved a certain high level of uh your skating skills or dance and so I was just kind of training for those and and that kind of I think gave me that transition just to be okay with it I can't explain why that one day was just the day but I just I guess it was just meant to be like I knew that was it so I I did get to end it on my own terms but I would say I spent a good few years kind of gearing up for that moment.
0: Right. Cool. Well, so where your story becomes more interesting now is you kind of fell into Skeleton, which a lot of people don't even know what that is. So, first, explain what the event is and then tell us how you got into it.
1: So, Skeleton basically originates from tobogganing. Um, and you might have heard of bobsled, say, like cool runnings where they're in like the bathtub. Skeleton <laughs> is lying on our belly, sliding like a penguin, head first. On basically, what is like, it's like the size of a lunch tray or a bigger lunch tray with like a metal part that goes around my rib cage. And we lie on it and we steer. We try and go down the course as fast as possible. Um, So you break it by running first, holding onto your sled, bent over as fast as you can, gaining as much momentum as you can. Because once you get on the ride, you're not stopping till after the finish line, Um, and you're trying to go faster than all your other opponents. Now, the unique thing is that there's no brakes, so after we cross the finish line, I have to drag my toes and pretty much break aerodynamics up a break and stretch to come to a stop so uh it's people say it's a daredevil sport, but it's very technical and it's very um like it's not risky, but it's calculated risk if that makes okay. sense
0: sure <laughs> now you you brought up cool runnings, and I'm envisioning in my head all the crashes from cool runnings as I watched that movie. We just watched it with our kids and one of the things about bobsled is, you know, a lot of it depends on your your entry. You know, the the recruit sprinters. I remember when Herschel Walker; he was a big NFL star here in the U.S. and he became a bobsledder um, because he just had these massive legs and was so strong and was able. Is that the same thing in skeleton? Is it all about the entry, or is it more of that all that little technical stuff?
1: So definitely, it's all about the push to gain the momentum. So maybe not quite as big as bobsledders, but we have to be nimble. We have to be strong. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it is about the entry because it's the physics of the corner. Like it, I didn't realize when I started, it would be this whole like science, physics, biomechanics course that I'll be taking for <laughs> eight more years. But right. um, yeah, so it, it's just physics. If the turn is going to the right and you're entering on the right-hand side, you're going to shoot straight up as close to the top of the concrete roof as you can right. and then you're going to fall as the G-force lets off and then if there's another G-force, if it's a two-pressure two, um, two pressure curve, we call them, you will then go up again and what goes up must come down. Um, so it is all about the curve and every curve is different and every curve has a theory. We probably spend um, a couple hours before, especially like a race week when we get to the track, we spend two hours walking the track, analyzing the curves, if the ice, because they make ice similar to a kind of like a flat rank, but then they have to shave it to give it some curvature so then we can study how that ice is changing over the week Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So it is is very technical and all about physics, but um, you set yourself up for a much better and faster and safer place if you go in in the way you want to versus the worst case scenario. Right,
0: sure. Now... You know, when you're an ice skater, when you're a figure skater, you just need a lake and some ice skates and you can get started. Skeleton's not quite the same thing. There's, there aren't courses for skeleton everywhere you go. You're, you're not equipped for that. And so the point of entry into that sport is very different from other sports where, you know, mass uh, people can enter in. Skeleton's a much more select group. Um, so how did you stumble into this? That's just not a normal sport to enter into.
1: And this is where I say there's there's a lot of moving parts and they all kind of came together, the synergy, like right at the perfect time. But uh, when my last couple of years of figure skating, they just built these brand new arenas up at uh, Canada Olympic Park, which is the legacy facilities from the 1988 Calgary Games. Um, and that's also where the bobsled track is, the bobsled skeleton luge. Um, and so I was skating up there in these brand new rinks and I kind of knew as I said I knew I was on my way out and I started to kind of google like what's what sports can you do when you're 18 19 there aren't very many you can start as an adult or you know as a, as a young adult so uh it was that or track cycling or speed skating kind of with my background mm-hmm. speed skating looked like too much lactic acid too much pain um too similar to skating so I kind of just looked around the park and and ended up thinking, well, maybe one day I can do that. And then at the same time, there's kind of another entry point. Earlier, a couple years earlier, we had the Vancouver 2010 Olympics in Canada. Um, And that was kind of like the first one. I was just about 16 years old. And I was like, I just remember recording every moment, wanting to watch every moment. Um, And I watched John Montgomery win a gold medal for Canada in skeleton. And I think that part of the seed comes from there because I was like, man, that's so cool. I've never seen this before. Right. And then um on the third part is that someone that my dad knows here in Calgary, uh, their kids were involved with a skeleton, and he was like, Hey, they're running a free kind of learn to slide day. It was on New Year's Day. Um, and you could go try any sport at Count Olympic Park. It wasn't just sliding, but I was like, I want to go try skeleton. And so I showed up completely free, and all you do is sign, sign your waiver and I was like going to start it. It's from a much lower start. It's very safe. There's only four corners. Basically, you just hold on for the ride and come up, they'll run. They right. pick you up out of there. And um, I was pretty nervous. But then John Montgomery was there. Um, and so he wow. kind of looked at me and said, "Wow, oh, you actually have a really good body type for skeleton. Uh, and so it kind of all came together at that point. And then after that, I spent, they weren't running a driving school, which you have to do to start skeleton. So it's kind of like a crash not a crash course, but a three-day course where you learn all about the equipment, about the theory, all that stuff. And I had to wait seven months to take that. So I was hooked. And then I was like, well, now I have to wait almost half a year. Yeah. So, and then I took the course and a week later I was like on the provincial development team, I think they called it, which they were just looking for women. They have a lot of men in the program, but mm-hmm. there weren't that many young women. And so I think got to stick around just because that went for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it certainly paid off in the end.
0: Yeah. So you started the sport much older than most people start sports. Most people start when they're young kids, you know, 10, 11 years old. Um, It's rare that you'll pick something up, you know, at the end of high school or as you start university. And so you were a little bit older. Um, Was that, were there any advantages to starting later? Or was it, did you feel like you were always playing catch-up and trying to get to the level of everyone else?
1: I was kind of right in the middle of this lull. Um, and it's that, like, you can start skeletoning down young as here in Canada. In Europe, they let them do it a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but so there was kind of those, like, people that come in right at 14, 15. And there's a couple of those on our na- in our national program right now. And so I always felt like I was playing catch-up with them. But then um, we're also a sport that people might come into after their – NCAA or, or U sports career up in Canada, like diversity career, and they might come into it as their second sport, maybe as their third sport mm. even. So there's those ones as well. Like there's a a few people who have been on our team that have started in their late twenties and have gone on to be successful and have a career for fifteen years even on the world stage. So I felt like I was kinda of like right in the middle. Um, which was weird, but It was hard because it's so hard. The older you get, the harder it gets to try new things. And I almost wish I had tried it sooner because I probably would have been as frightened. My first run, I was like writing. I was like, if I die, then this is my wishes. Um, Which it might be morbid, but I'm a very like, it was was very scary and very real to be like, I've never done this before. And this looks terrifying. You're staring down an ice covered concrete (laughs) chute that you're about to go 120 kilometers an hour down. Um, it's not the easiest (laughs) mindset to be in Of Oh man. Like it's it's just kind of like, I'm sure it's like skydiving for the first time. I've never, never skydived before, but
0: right. (laughs) Well, so for you kids out there who are listening, don't, don't feel like you can't try new things as you get older. Um, I, I love that grace that you did this as you were getting older, but even me, I started a new sport when I turned 40 uh, running my first 50 mile ultra marathon as a 40 year old. And so it, you're never too old to try new things and, and certainly, um, I, I love that you're having success now with the sport. So you're on the national team now. Um, you, you've been able to compete internationally in a bunch of different races. Tell us a little bit about what that entails on being on the national team and doing international competitions. How does that affect, like, your day-to-day life and your schedule? Um, uh, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I spent, uh, just back it up a little bit, I spent two years just training recreationally um, here in Calgary while I was in university. I was in the middle of completing my bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. so super convenient. Just train and get better at it and then study and work, and I ended up getting a job teaching skating at Winsport um, at Canada Olympic Park, so it was kind of like all in one place. Cool. Um, and yeah, by surprise, after the Sochi Games, I got the call from my provincial um, Or like your provincial or state uh, organization saying, hey, and they allocate races internationally after the national team gets all the races. So that year I wasn't on the national team and all the national team people took their races and there was a couple extra spots. And so I got granted um, to do a couple races down in Park City, Utah, and then moved on to um, come up here to Calgary to race in my hometown, which was actually really exciting. And so that was my first taste And it. Completely, just me by surprise. They're like, "Yeah, so you need to leave like in six days." And I was in the middle of university, so I wow. begged and begged and pleaded with my profs that I would come back and work harder than ever before. And, and lucky enough, they granted me to go. And yeah, so then that's kind of what the last or the first three years of my international sliding career was like because I was balancing. I wasn't on the national team yet. I was on the development circuit, which is kind of just below. But that's where you spend your time learning how to compete. We call that in the long-term athlete development, learn to train or learn to compete
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: just, you know, getting experience. And so that was really fun. And I was also just trying to complete my university studies at the same time. It was a little bit of a grind, but I took a lot of courses online. Um, Let's shout out if people are still taking courses online, it is really hard, but you get to dictate your own schedule and you can get it done. Uh, I did it about four years ago when I was in university and, that was one of the, one of the sacrifices I had to make was I couldn't always be on campus. So I chose some electives and not as important courses in university that I could do, uh, on the road. And then, yeah, and then by chance last year, kind of everything came together. Was injured for a couple of years after that, after developing, uh, on being on the development circuit. Kind of had a couple of down years. Was kicked out of the program because I wasn't deemed it enough potential, which kind of fired me up even more. <laughs> <laughs> and so I came back with a vengeance and we have like off ice testing in the summer, which is, uh, run sprints as fast as you can jump, throw and lift some weights to put it, to put it lightly. But, uh, so I did those last year and I ran, We have a, uh, some standards within those you have to make, you have to be faster than this, you have to lift more than this. And, and I kind of came back and proved some people wrong and, and made that this time last year, actually, a couple of days ago was the anniversary of it. And cool. that was kind of my first step to like being in the national program, even though I had all this experience competing internationally, um, it's a different level and you get more access to more races. And mm-hmm. and that includes, you know, trying to qualify for the upcoming potential winter Olympics in the next couple, two years and then the next four years or next six years after that. So, um, kind of puts you in the small pool of, of, you know, you're in the candidates for some funding, good coaching, maybe some equipment, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the perks of being in the national program versus before when I was just making a go of it by myself, completely self-funding everything, um, working whenever I could. And now, so I spent the last year working um, at, I work for a nonprofit called Classroom Champions. They're very lucky I work completely remote. We do have an office in Calgary when I'm here I can go into, but Uh uh, just basically – if i'm not on the ice sliding um in a race week or i'm not in the gym or i'm not at video review i'm probably on my computer working um which is a major not always the nicest when you're like in these beautiful european towns and you're like i just want to go sightsee sometimes for like my one day off but that's part of uh that's part of the grind balancing being a national team athlete and working full-time but i love it and and it's all about just following my calendar. I won't lie. It, I, it does get filled out pretty quickly, but you learn what your priorities are and what's important to you and you make time for the stuff that's important. And there are some stuff that you might miss along the way and, and it's sad and it's hard, but the sacrifices, and I hate to call them sacrifices, but like the good moments outweigh those sacrifices you made along the way. When, like when I when I made the national team. And then I went and raced to my first race. I was like a national team member. I was dying there. Right. I got my own team Canada coat for the first time. I had borrowed one from someone in the in the past, but it was like, this is mine. Right. And yeah. uh, it's just, it's just an amazing feeling to represent your country. And and I've run into people uh, in say the Christmas market in Munich and they ended up being from a small town just two hours north or two hours south of Calgary. And we were in the middle of Germany, and they saw our Canadian mats, Team Canada mats, and our jackets, and they came and talked to us. And it's just—I'm getting goosebumps even right now, just remembering it. Um, but it's just stuff like that that makes all that all that hard stuff worth it. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, your your story is phenomenal. I I'm so pleased that you you're having the success that you're having now. That you you were able to make it onto the national team. Um, as we talk to kids, just to wrap up here as we look at your story and the things that you've learned along the way, obviously yours is a story of persistence. It, it's persevering and just grinding it out. And, and that's usually true of any successful person, but um, what, what's just one or two things that you've learned along the way that if, if you could talk back to your high school self and say, you know, just keep working and make sure you do this and this, what would, what would those thises be?
1: Uh, the first one's definitely to believe in myself more. And that's because sometimes I kind of downplay even until the last year when I've finally been like, you need to take a stand and actually say like, no, I'm on the national team. It took me a long time to, to even believe that that was actually real. So believe in yourself more. It makes things a lot easier, you know, because you have these dreams, but then you might not believe in yourself. And that might be a major barrier to reaching your goals or your dreams. But if you kind of just go after them and believe in yourself, it's going to be a lot easier. You're getting yourself out of the way. There's still going to be other road, roadblocks, but you're not going to be one of them. Um, and definitely just reflection and gratitude is the other thing that I think have just, I've been pretty good at the last few years. Um, but just making sure that you reflect back on what you're learning and and are you happy with where you are? And I know this is really deep, maybe if you're in high school. I I wish I knew this 10 years ago, but just just really thinking hard about, is what you're doing reflecting the values and the legacy that you wanna leave on this earth? And if it's not, then you need to make the course correction. If it is, and keep getting after it because you're gonna create this legacy that people are gonna remember you for, whether it be in your city, your community, your school, with your teachers, or maybe all across your state or your province, you never know, dream big, but uh, just make sure that you're really living up to what you wanna be known for.
0: That's awesome. Fantastic advice. Well, Grace, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Um, if, if kids want to connect with you, I know that you have your website, gracedefoe.ca for Canada, um, and all your social handles are gracedefoe, at gracedefoe. Is there a preferred uh, social media platform that you're on?
1: Uh, Definitely Instagram or or Twitter um, are really great. But if you don't want to be on public social media too, um, my website has a little email icon in the corner. It goes right to my email. Um, It goes to me. There's no one else. So if there's something I can help anyone out there with, with, with whether you're thinking about what you want to do or dream big, there's an email button. You can get in contact with me. So, yeah.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Virtual School Assembly. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you listen to Virtual Assemblies. And leave us a rating and review so we know what you learned and took away from this Virtual Assembly. Videos and show notes are found at virtualschoolassembly.com. And if you're a school leader and you're looking for a speaker for virtual or traditional in-school assemblies, or if you're looking for some teacher training, I'd love to connect with you to see how I can help you can check out my website at TylerChristensen.com. Thanks. You are super duper. Let's go out and make the world a better place. Bye-bye.